Hey there, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a review and send it to a friend. Don't forget, head over to workwithtimmydouglas.com to get your list of life-changing questions and our free book, Impact Ignition, Live a Purposeful Life. See you tomorrow for another show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Diana Lee, who is an accomplished author of her first memoir, Silently Said, A Journey Through Illness and Addictions, which is also an Amazon bestseller. Diana, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks so much for asking, and we'd like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Okay. Sounds good. So I am um, a wife to Brent for 20 years. I've got twin girls who are just about 19. They're about two weeks out of that. And in Saskatchewan, that's a big deal to turn 19. Um, Yes, I'm from Saskatchewan, Canada. I have written my first memoir, Silently Said. It is a two-part series. Um, There's a lot of material in there, and I just didn't want to overwhelm a reader. I am an avid reader. Gardener, I love pets. I got a little one-year-old puppy. And for my day job, when I'm not doing speaking events, podcasts, and uh, writing my book and touring with that, I am a full-time administrator at in local government. I gotcha. I gotcha. And so have you been working in local government uh, for your whole career or did you, have you kind of bounced around? Uh, well, I had a few different careers. Um, this would be my most longstanding. It's been just over 12 years that I've been in local government. It's an interesting field. I remember my interview, I told them that I wanted something challenging. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're the tax lady, you're challenging. So I was with a different municipality and then I moved uh, to the current one that I'm at about five and a half years ago. Um, I did daycare out of my home for a while to stay at home with my daughters because that was really important to me. Um, yeah, I've done different, many different things, went to university, to school. It's just been a few different things, but I think I've settled into this and being an author and speaker that just, um, kind of came about last year. I published it June 7th, uh, silently said, and, uh, and it's brought me a whole new, um, journey. I gotcha. Well, tell us a little bit about your motivation behind writing the memoir. My motivation was really to try and heal myself. It started as journaling as a kid and I needed an outlet for all these feelings because feelings weren't really safe to have when I was growing up. Um, My dad, it made him uncomfortable and my mom was terminally ill, so I could not rely on her to be my sounding board. So I had to find a way. And a lot of the time I take my my binder full of just loose leaf paper and go down. I lived on a farm. I was raised, born and raised on a farm and uh, just go down to a nice spot and sit with my pen and paper. And that's where it all began. I gotcha. So you've been journaling for a while, but was that was that also writing like in a novel form or was it just journaling to get your emotions out? Uh, journaling to get my emotions in, out initially. And then I started as a teenager. There was a couple of English teachers that kind of found some, I guess they felt that that my writing really connected with people, with them. Um, so that kind of gave me an idea when I crossed the graduation stage to receive my diploma, my principal told me, who was also my English teacher, introduced me as the person who was going to be a best-selling author one day. Mm, there we go. 
There we go. Mm -hmm. So I that like that was the seed planted. It took a long time to get there, but it was a seed planted. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. And so we get your motivation behind the book, you know, trying to heal through the memoir. But what's your motivation in life? What really gets you up and keeps you going every day? Uh, well, of course, there's my family. Um, I want to be an example to my daughters that you can live your dreams. My one daughter is a musician and she writes her own songs and sings. So she is really pushing to get into that field, which we all know can be difficult. Um, but she said that seeing me do that, do what I'm doing is helping her believe in her dreams. Um, being that my mom and sister got a really rare brain atrophy where their brain was shrinking, um, I felt like they didn't get to lead life. So I really want to lead the life that I'm designed to have because it's a really a gift. It's a real reminder that we're not guaranteed anything in this life. So pushing past all of my doubt, my worthlessness, my fear, um, honestly, pu putting this out there because it's very personal was like running naked on the street. I was so afraid and very exposed, but it it also liberated me in a way that I never expected. Um, I wanted to share the journey of my mom and sister because I felt like they needed to be seen, that nobody saw them because they were so ill. Um, and in that, I was able to do some real deep dive into myself and do some healing and helping others heal. My biggest motivation besides my kids is helping others connect with themselves and heal. Yeah. I love that. Helping others connect with themselves and heal. Awesome. Well, we'd love to hear a little bit more about the memoir. Do you go through kind of your life from five years old to now? Do you focus on a couple different stories? Tell us a little bit about it. So because the book is so heavy, um, it is actually only until the age of 25. I had, uh, I had held it back because it's a really personal journey. And I was very, very afraid. But this one goes from pretty much newborn to age 25. Um, in that time, when I'm nine months old, my mom gets diagnosed with a rare brain atrophy with no name. Um, as I'm gaining all my life skills, like being able to walk, talk, feed myself, my mom is losing all those things almost in parallel. Like we probably crossed paths at one point, but I was too little to remember. Um, my dad takes to alcohol to try and cope. Uh, I am the youngest of four kids. Uh, at a very young age, I stepped up to the plate to be the mom of the family. My mom went into permanent care when I was around between six and seven. And um, yeah, I had a tumultuous teenage year just with, like, my dad had a lot of anger, so I was very afraid of him. I had severe asthma as a child, uh, kind of go through some of that part of the journey. And then I, I leave home, I break free. I'm kind of trying to do my life, but it's kind of a dumpster fire. Um, but uh, then we move into my sister getting diagnosed with the same rare brain atrophy and uh, with no name and me becoming her caregiver. So we go through all of kind of those major points. And it's a lot when I look at my kids who are, you know, just about 19. And I think of all the things that, you know, that I went through by that age, I was like, okay, like I needed some therapy, but at that time, you know, there was a big stigma um, on therapy. I did get it after, but um, I was able to just try and move the reader through the journey um, 
so that they could see that people can go through a lot and overcome it. Yeah. I got yeah. you. And, and I want to touch on the title silently said, like the second book comes out this fall, it's called silence breaks. So silently said a journey through illness and addiction. This is actually, I don't know if you've seen the book or, um, I took this photo when I was, I think, uh, 16 or 17, there's a face in the clouds here. And so there's two eyes, two eyes, nose, kind of a mouth, hair flowing up. So it's looking down on our family farm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, the silently said part, I called it that because my mom and sister were silenced by illness. And then um, because they lost their ability to speak, my dad was silenced by his demons and then I just realized through writing, I'm doing a big keynote speech uh, in November. And I just realized writing through that, I was also silenced. And that's where my writing came in. That was the only way that I could speak as a kid because there was so much fear and no discredit to my dad at all. He was doing the best he could. He had a lot on his plate, a farm, four kids, a sick wife. And, uh, but that silence haunted me and I needed to be able to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. you were experiencing this really, really young. You said your mom got it when you were like basically a newborn, right? Nine months. Yeah. Yeah. And then your sister got it around 1918, 17. No. So Cam, this is really creepy. My, my mom was diagnosed December 10th, 1978. And my sister, who I had become her caregiver, she was diagnosed December 10th, 2002. So she was 26. They were both 26 years old, same day. Um, she oh, had gone wow. into the psychiatric center. Uh, I had been taking care of her and then had some assessments done. I was still in major denial that she was sick with the same illness. Uh, we had booked an MRI, but it was going to take a year and a half to get it. I moved her to Saskatoon into a little basement suite, got her into a program for people with disabilities, even though she graduated grade 12. So like I'm doing all the things and I'm not quite seeing it. So sometimes in life, you don't see what's right in front of you. My husband said that he saw that. Um, and I got a call one day and she had had a mental breakdown. So she was in the psychiatric center. So I went there and the doctors that I met there, there was a bunch of them. And they said, we've never seen this before. And I brought my mom's file and I said, I have. And uh, through that, we got referred out to the province of Alberta, to the movement disorder clinics in Foothills Hospital in Calgary. We began the of doctoring for her. Um, and we resulted in the same result as my mom anyways. Mm. So it was pretty tragic. And uh, so I was her caregiver for a couple of years. Um, and then I got married and got pregnant and I couldn't take care of her and my twin newborns. So yeah. I put her in. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. So, and so I'll go for it. So by the time I was 26, all of those events had happened and I was really operating in survival mode. Like that fight, flight, freeze, you know, fawn, <laughs> certain, most circumstances, I, I I had to fight my way through it, fight my way to face the life that I had at that point, um, and be the support 
that I knew that my sister needed and that my dad needed that everybody else needed, but I didn't, I didn't reach out for support. I reached for my, my pen as yeah. my support. I gotcha. Is there, is there anything more known about the rare brain atrophy now? So in book two, it'll chron- chronicle what happens there with um, the diagnosis. I got really um, focused on getting a name for the illness in hopes that that would somewhat put us in a pigeonhole where we could be slotted in and have some help for my sister. I became an advocate. My mom did pass away. She lived till the age of 53, bedridden, um, with no ability to speak, do anything for herself. Um, So I donated her brain to science where my sister's doctors were, so to Calgary. And they did perform the autopsy. Now, the brain was half the size of an adult brain. Um, It was full size at one time. But what was happening is there was too much protein in the brain and the cells were clogging and dying. So through that process, um, I actually leapfrogged over the neurologist because I was getting nowhere. It was a year and a half after my mom had passed away before we got the diagnosis. I found out who the neuropathologist was that was working on the case and him and I worked on the case. And then they gathered a bunch of uh, doctors in Calgary to get a diagnosis. Um, And that was quite an experience. That's when I learned that a doctor is only ever making their best educated guess, especially with things that are really complex. Um, So that's when they diagnosed it as spinocellular ataxia type 26. So there's many different forms. And I remember like at one point they're saying in the, it was in a big conference hall at the, at the hospital there. And they said like, you know, there's so many different types of ataxia of spinal cell value ataxia. And so this one was type 26, 26 was the age of onset. Um, and that's, that's kind of what they went with. So after that, there was, you know, there was no more science that was being done. It was not really funded. The only other family that they knew of at the time, and this is about 2007 by the time we were dealing with this, um, was a family in Poland um, who had 11 family members that got sick. So then we went into the genetic research end of it, and they told us that this part, this disease, is the end of genetic research that they don't have any data for. So there, yeah, uh, it did go from mother to daughter. Um, I knew I didn't have it. Everybody as my, my sister was little, when she was little, they would always say that she was just like my mom. And that drove me nuts. Cause they told me that I was like my dad and I, I didn't want to be like my dad. Um, but I guess, you know what, careful what you say out in the universe, but sometimes you are exactly what people's well you become. Yeah. Because she's a very quiet, shy, introverted person. Um, she saved her humor and her personality for a very select few people. I was gifted to be one of those people, but she was much different than me. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. That is, um, man, that is wild. Yeah. Yeah. So my sister stayed in care for 10 years and then she passed away at 36 I gotcha and then my dad drank himself to death 
and he died in 2018. So by the time I was 40, I lost half my family. I have two brothers, great, great guys, um, but we're definitely trauma triggered still between all of us, you know, which is an interesting process as well. Like they're the people that I was in the trenches with for most of this. And yet, you know, you, you're close, but you know, there's always that undercurrent of the pain that we all share but we share it in different ways. So it's navigating that ship is, um, is interesting and, um, it can be challenging at times, but it's good because they're, they're good people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us about your vision for the memoir and your life. Oh man, my vision for the memoir is I really want it to get into someone's hands. Well, first off, I want to get it to people so that they can, it promotes their healing. That is the main purpose of this. And then book two comes out in the fall, Silence Breaks, A Journey Home, where I learn more about myself. So I want to, I pair them up. Um, in the fall, I'm doing a convention called LEAD in Canada. So it's the first personal development convention in Canada. My friend Corliss is putting it on and I'm one of her uh, inspirational speakers. Jack Canfield, Jack Canfield is also going to be there. I'm really hoping that I get this in his hands because he's a, he's got some pretty big connections. He is a big connection himself, but if he wants to take this and run, I would love that. So that's kind of my big girl, big dream. What's the conference the called again? Lead, uh, lead conference, Canada. Gotcha. So it's, um, it's at the Centennial Auditorium, or I guess it's TCU Place now. You know, I'm an old girl, so I go with what the, you know, the stadiums were called back in the day. So there's a couple thousand people, and that'll be my biggest audience. The book is moving into the Saskatchewan school system, um, which I never expected. I've toured a lot of schools. Um, I connect with a lot of students. So I do my talk, and then sometimes there's conversation after. Uh, a lot of the time, the students that are really struggling come up come up to me um, after I'm done and I'm packing up and they really want to just kind of say me too, right? Like there was a story in here talking about when social services almost took us away. Like there was so many times social services almost took us away because we were being raised by our dad in you know, the 1980s and that's not really common. Um, there was all kinds of allegations, but nothing, nothing ever happened. My dad my dad was neglectful and an alcoholic, but he was not, um, you know, he didn't abuse us in, in the ways that he was being accused of. And, yeah. you know, so I can see this book going far. I always knew it, though. So I, I think as much as I wanted to publish it for years, the most important thing to me was becoming a mom and being that mom for them and being there because I knew what it was like not having that role in my life because my mom couldn't actively be there. In fact, as a kid, I was very detached from her, which is quite normal for a child going through trauma. Um, they detach from the person because it hurts too much. So it's a normal human reaction. So I knew deeply in my soul that this book was going to go far. Um, and with that, that, um, I couldn't be taken away from my kids. So the month they graduated, which was June last year, I published this book. And then once the fall hit, 
I started rolling into the schools and the teachers called and the counselors called. And so I don't work Fridays uh, in my office, which is good because that that allows me time to go to the schools. And I feel like if we can impact that next generation and just be that, I'm not there to be a social worker to you. I'm not there to be a therapist to you. I'm just there to be an example that you can overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. So my big dream for my life is be an inspirational speaker and an author full time. Because, you know, tax lady gig is good, but uh, I'm still the tax lady. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And so with being an author full time, do you plan on stopping after your sequel memoir or do you have other books in the pipeline? Um, I have other books that I are sitting in my brain that I know will come to fruition. I work in local government. Um, it is an interesting, as I said earlier, challenging dynamics. Um, essentially, you have seven bosses as, as an administrator. Um, there's a council or you may have more. Um, so I would like to write something. Actually, I want to develop a program to help support um, local government workers So after um, Silence Breaks is out, I'm going to really hone in on a book about um, local government and develop that program. So, and this is the first job I've ever had. I don't even consider it a job um, that I never want to stop doing because it feels like I'm at home and I'm at center when I am with my laptop and, and writing this. I was working on my lead conference discussion and and the the topic I've been given is about grief and I'm really excited because exploring grief and all the different forms that it takes is going to be great I feel like maybe there's a book in there but I I know there's lots more to come out of me that's for sure yeah yeah I gotcha they're being an inspirational speaker full-time you know I hear about the speaking industry a little bit some of these keynote speakers will get fifty thousand dollars a keynote And so how do you go about building that up? Are you currently getting paid like at the lead conference? Is that a paid speaking gig or is it more of a building your portfolio speaking gig? Like just give us some insight. Yes, that one is not a paid speaking gig. That is to build my portfolio. I'll have a booth there as well, selling my books. And with a couple thousand people, that'll be my biggest event yet. But I'm doing keynotes actually in the field of local government. I'm using my, my network right now. Um, the school system, that's, you know, that can be various grades that I go and speak to, and those are paid. Um, the libraries have brought me in, those are paid. But the keynotes that I've been doing with, um, I guess, in local government, I've got one coming up next week, they're, they're paying. And I'm working, I hired myself a marketing guru who is helping me learn how to market and get into the market of all of this because you know your time is divided right now um yeah like keynote speakers are worth a lot of bank i've got a friend corliss who does it and she's doing quite well with it and so you know you take a couple pages out of her book and then you get your your contacts and you get known in the industry and I feel like having the book is a good accompaniment to break into that market because I can 
I can really show you, I can be the example to you of, you know, a lot of hardship, but a lot of healing. And I think people really need that right now. They've needed it for a long time, but we talk about it now. Um, tools in the toolbox. That's what I call it. The tools that I had when I left home, the first thing I did was I went to uh, Cole's bookstore in Canada here and I bought myself a couple self-help books because I had watched Oprah <laughs> and I was like, I need these books. They're going to help me. And so if I can be that book for someone else, then that would, I, I know there'll be, there'll be a personal development book coming out as well in time to come. So yeah, I feel like the industry, once you get known, kind of, then it's like they come, people were coming to seek me now, which is, which is cool. Yeah. I like to share my message of, of hope. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever see it turning into some sort of product, whether it be an information product or a product like a journal to help people with grief or something like that? that um you can because i see a lot of speakers you know they're speakers but they also have these business products that they sell whether they be coaching products or other products to help with whatever they their expertise yes. so as i explore this concept of grief um i see all the different areas that it it takes shape i mean there's the grief where we physically lose someone and we understand that they're gone and that's painful and to get past that I know that I've, I've kept company with that. Um, then there's the grief of when my kids left home, you know, and I didn't, I didn't go outside. I didn't tend my garden. I didn't, I, I wanted to be happy for them. So it was like a mixture of like excitement for them and knowing that they had to leave and then being, being super sad. So I can see some sort of, some sort of either course or, or information journal um, that gives people tips to help themselves through that. I know I certainly could have used something like that in my younger years. Uh, and then there's the local government where I'd like to offer the product of having a code, like going in and coaching the councils and the employees and helping them bridge because there's a lot of fractures in local government. And if it's going to stay that the way it is, it's going to break. So I got you. Yeah. So kind of a consulting yeah. program. To yeah. local government. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I gotcha. Very nice. Very nice. Well, cool. Any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about? Right now we have get the memoir to people to promote their healing. The sequel's coming out in the fall where you'll be at the lead conference in Canada. Uh, most important thing for you was being a mom. You want to be an inspirational speaker and author full-time, develop a consulting program to help local government workers, and then some sort of journal or course to help people through grief. Yeah. So I guess I just want to, I want to be able to travel and spread my message to yeah. people. Um, and I feel it's, it's coming because, because I knew this was going to be bigger than me. And it's funny because I always thought when my mom got sick, we would call it, my dad would say she's plateaued. Like she would lose certain skills and then she'd stay the same for like a year or two and then she'd lose more and then plateau. And I'm thinking about my career, my new career as, an, as a speaker and author, and it's a climb for sure. I mean, I'm in rural Saskatchewan can be a little bit um, not as progressive as some areas. Yeah. Uh, it's a great place to live, but, you know, it's like you go to a local library, people aren't coming to the speaking events there, right? Some of them are, um, some of them aren't. 
but the bigger centers, I know you can fill, you know, if you've got personal development, people are into personal development. They understand it. They want to learn about themselves. They want to explore why they feel the way they feel. And I guess the thing is, is I'm really curious about other people as well. So it would be interesting to see what I can learn and extrapolate from their stories to, I guess, forge ahead um, with a perspective that's more diverse. Yeah, I gotcha. You got to um, got to start a podcast. That's also on <laughs> I am on my list. I really I listen. So in twenty seventeen, I changed. Uh, where I was working, I changed jobs, but I became an administrator. I was an assistant before that in local government. And I was a mess, like a bad mess. I was in a really bad spot mentally. It'll go into book two. Um, at times I was suicidal. Um, and I journaled, I filled three journals in six months. Like we're talking the big notebooks yeah. and it wasn't on a computer. It was just in a notebook. Um, and I listened to podcasts a lot. Yep. And through that, I took notes feverishly. I have a, you know, 25 minute drive to work. Podcast goes on. A book goes on. Um, I love music. I got a musician as a daughter, but I needed to help myself. And I still do that. And I recommend people dive into podcasts and books because there's a lot of wisdom out there. And it's at our fingertips and we can help ourselves. So yeah, podcast is on my list for sure. I'd love that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, what are the top one to two skills that you need to develop right now to make your dream life come true? What are the one to two? So you got good questions. Thank you. See, see then if I get to be on the other side of this one day, hey? <laughs> okay. So one to two questions to develop my skills. Um, yeah, I would say that I need to work on, um, growing my network. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it because really it's like, you know, you need bums and seats when you're, you're going and you're being, you know, you need to be able to draw people in and I need readers holding my book. Um, those, those things come with networking so that's why i'm doing the lead conference where you know you get the reach of a couple thousand people who are probably fairly like-minded if they're interested in personal development yep. um and then i guess the marketing end of it so that's why i hired the marketer because i do work well i work nine hour days so well 10 hour days sometimes so i work long days i come home and i work on my book uh, or I'm doing something, it's the social media thing. She's taught me a lot about all of that. So I'm learning a lot. I'm still pretty new. Um, and honestly, I didn't even know Amazon had stats. Like I didn't even pay attention. My kids were graduating. I sell hail insurance in June and it's a very busy month. I didn't plan it very well. I didn't really have a book launch. <laughs> like it was just like everything was hitting at once. But regardless, once I did find out that the book had stats and in Canada, we can't go back and check Amazon mm -hmm. um, as an author to see where, where it hit. But it did hit number 11 in uh, grief and bereavement right next to Tuesdays with Maury, which I thought if I'm chasing Mitch Atbaum's tales, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Yeah. So my, I'm going to be more structured. Another skill I need to develop is organization. I have, my brain is organized, but my environment, some like my, my house is really clean, but putting everything from here and organizing it out here can be chaotic. So I need to be able to take a few breaths and like last night, if I would have realized my computer was at work, I could have come down and got it. And this morning I go to get it and I'm like, oh, it's not there. And I knew this was a video one. So I was like, hey, I got to I got to make a quick decision. I'm really good, quick decision maker. That comes from living in a chaotic household where you had to be, uh, you know, we, we cared for our mom. When my dad would go out drinking, we would be taking care of her. So we needed to know what to do. Like I'm four years old. My older brothers obviously took more of the reins on that. Um, but like we just needed to make decisions, right? So my decision-making skill is really, uh, really strong, but working on the organizational, um, the connecting um, with a bigger network. But I know that once people hear me speak, because I, I just did an event that was a few hundred people in Saskatoon and they do connect with you. They come up to you after and they feel that they were seen, they were heard and they were understood. And another big point that I want to really create for people in the atmosphere of being a speaker is safety. Mm. Because as a kid, I didn't feel safe. Um, when I was struggling with my asthma, I wouldn't go tell my dad. And there were many times I almost died because I was so afraid of him. So safety is really important to me. Yeah. Um, I couldn't be a safe home for my kids and I want to create a safe space that when people come and hear me speak, it'll trigger you probably, but hopefully that trigger turns into curiosity and you ask yourself, why am I being triggered and kind of explore that. Mm. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. So growing your network, get readers holding the book and that both of those kind of come down to marketing, but specifically the readers holding the book comes down to marketing in a way and then organization. Yeah. And did I miss a skill in there? Uh, I don't think so. I think um, it was creating a safe space was a fifth. Oh yeah. Thing. Creating a safe space. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And so I guess I'm curious with the marketing and the social media, does your marketing expert have you, uh, like with a list of a dream 100 are you familiar with that concept um i'm not actually i'll have to look that up or you'll have to share that with me what she does have me doing is like really dreaming big pushing like and kind of breaking down some steps to get there um and holding my hand through it because as a as a child that went through so much trauma there's still those points that I feel like I have imposter syndrome, like who am I to be doing this? And those points can sometimes hold me back. And being that I don't do this full time, um, it's hard to balance and fit everything in and still, you know, run to Saskatoon where my girls are living and making sure their emotional needs are met and spending time with my, my husband and, you know, and doing yard work and all of that. But I also find like this week was kind of a weird week. Like it started Sunday where things were kind of strange. And then it, it lasted. I did two days of mental health first aid, which really triggered me because they were talking about psychosis and, and hallucinations. And my sister had that 
while I was there quite often um, with her illness and it was terrifying. So I went through some really emotional things this week. And then about five o'clock on Wednesday, I was feeling anxious, but back when I was a kid, I would never know what that was called. But now I know it was anxiety. So I've kind of battled that anxiety and pushing past those like those beliefs. So at about five o'clock on Wednesday, I'm like, okay, no. Like, so I sat and I journaled and then I did a few other things. And that evening, this talk for Corliss about grief came out of me. It was almost like I need to be, because of my, the way I was raised, I need to be pressurized. <laughs> so like push, push, push me down. And I am going to, my lid's going to pop, but it's going to pop in a good way where it's like, Oh my God, I get it. And I had kind of a breakthrough about grief and, and myself and I got curious. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting process to be a creative. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It is. It is absolutely. And um, I think there's the like creative aspect of it. And then I think you're learning about this because you hired a market professional. There's the business aspect of it. And it's hard to like let one thrive without stifling the other. It's a hard balance. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's tricky um, to balance all of that, but it's also interesting. I did a personality test once and they said, your my, my strongest skill set was adaptability mm-hmm. and which totally makes sense as a kid and in the household I, I grew up in, but I'm also 51% logical and 49% creative. Mm. So I have this mind that's kind of goes both, it can go both directions, but I think that's where the organizational skill will help because both are really good skill sets. Like you're very good creative with your book and you like people, um, people read this book in 24 hours. They're like, I could not put it down. That was the consistent thing that I was hearing and I still hear. And I'm like, oh, really? And I'm, but they said it, it was like I took them and put them on my shoulder and they were watching the whole thing. They were right beside me. They felt all the emotions. I dove right into all of those feelings. Um, and then there's the marketing end, which is new to me. Um, and I'm building my brand. My business is called Diana Lee Inc. I-N-K. And um, yeah, so going through that is also requiring some creativity, but business brain. And I do have business brain quite a bit at my office. So as much as it's familiar, it's a whole different language. Like, you know, when you go into different workplaces, they all have their own language. And this one definitely has its own language uh, with marketing and understanding stats. And yeah, I've learned so much in the last couple months that I've been with Lacey and it's, it's helping me. Um, and I also realized I need to take some time off work, like just take a holiday. Last summer only took four days off. It's like, take two weeks. I hired an assistant in my office, which is fantastic. I used to do my whole job by myself, like all of the jobs here, all yeah. alone. And again, that's a, a trauma response to be the rescuer, right? And to be needed. But now it's like, I'm allowing myself to need people. So a step forward in that was getting an assistant and also hiring a marketer because I don't know the industry. So mm. I'm just trying to learn all of those things. And again, I'll listen to podcasts about it just to absorb it during the day when I'm on my way to work or on my way home. Yeah. Somebody who is really, there are a couple of people who are really big in my world, understanding marketing and just really shifting my mindset about it. So I understood like, 
okay, am I getting the results I want? Maybe not. If not, why? And I started to understand why. And it's Russell Brunson and Alex Horton. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And so specifically for you, Russell Brunson's concept of the Dream 100, it's in one of his books. It might be in all of his books, honestly. But it's basically, I mean, I bet you're doing it to some extent, honestly, with growing your network and however the marketer is having you do that. But you get a, a list of 100 people who have your ideal audience as their audience, and you just start to interact on their pages. And so it'd be like, you only follow 100 people and all 100 of those people are grief authors and speakers who have a little bit bigger of a following. You can put some in the like, you know, Brene Brown space and then you could put some in the right above you space and then some of you in the same as you space. Mm-hmm. And you just interact on all of their posts. Every time they post about something grief related, you interact with a real value add comment and you'll start to grow your network that way because every post they have they'll see your name pop up with a really thoughtful comment that people are engaging on. So they'll be like, who is this girl? And they'll check you out and then you guys connect, so on and so forth. Um, just so it's a, That's smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's right in his book, man. His marketing secrets trilogy is so good. And the idea is just that you kind of have the time to be patient with it. So it's not the marketing that's going to get you a sale within a week. But it is the marketing that will set the foundation for a, a great business launch in a year. And so if as you're building up your speaker's portfolio, you engage with your dream 100 and you build 20 solid relationships from that dream 100, it's like now you are really well known in the space and you can start collaborating with them, having them on your podcast and audience sharing and speaking at the events they host, all that good stuff. And so... Yeah, the dream that is actually really cool. And it sounds like, you know, that's the thing. Like when you say it takes time, it does take time. And and I'm okay with that because anything that you rush, um, like it took me 25 years to publish this book. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that was my own fears, but I feel like it's anything. Like I didn't just become an administrator in my job. I didn't just jump in one day and say that's what I'm gonna do. I had to take university classes and I had experience of, you know, six and a half years in another municipality. And I knew the language walking into this, uh, what I did walk into was kind of uh, chaotic, but that's, that's okay because I can handle it. Had you been a new administrator, like they're saying new administrators are lasting three years in our field. Hmm. Like they just can't, they can't do it. And I, and I totally get it. I get why. Um, but for myself, it's like, yeah, like do the foundational work. Once you get to that foundation, that foundation builds, then every layer is stronger, right? Because it's it's on a, a solid base. And that's that's where I'm at right now. I'm working on the solid base. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there we go. Yeah. Let's, let's jump on what the highest impact daily actions are that will tick the needle forward towards your dreams and goals. Every day I work one way, shape or form towards pushing this book forward. So mm-hmm. whether, well, all, all my whole brand, I'm going to call it Diana Lee Inc. Um, I, I definitely like it. There's times where I'm working on the writing, the creative end, 
Um, and that's great. And then there's other times like every day I try and make sure I'm posting on social media. Um, yeah, consistency. I need to always be consistent. So, um, working on that consistency skill, whether it's, you know, I see something on Instagram or Facebook and it's a really good quote that resonates with me and I just throw it in my story. Right. Um, I know my marketer has my consistency, like go consistently through all platforms. She did a deep dive into all my social medias, my LinkedIn and everything. Um, And, you know, all of it should be the same. Diana Lee, author, motivational speaker, like all those little points, like it's, it's kind of fine tuning and getting that engine ready and and the car gassed up and we're going to get going and launch, launch forward. So every day, I am working uh, in one way, shape, or form towards creating that uh, brand into something that helps people help themselves. So, yeah, well, yeah, every every single day, I'll get up at five in the morning and write until seven and come to work for eight, um, or I will come to work for seven, leave early, and take my laptop outside and write for a couple hours. So, yeah. or. And the, the one part that I don't enjoy um, with writing a book is the editing. It's terrifying to me. Um, I avoided it for a little while because when I opened up my document and there was all these, you know, markups all over it, I'm like, it made it a really good book, I must say. But when you're writing from the heart, it's hard not to take that personally. So wow. there's that, that time too, right? Like just sitting there and pushing your brain past the I'm not good enough. And that's what the editor is saying. They're not saying that at all. They're just saying, this is good. Let's make it the best that it can be. So it's yeah. a partnership. And I have to remember that. But as a kid that got in trouble all the time, because I talked too much and had too many feelings and made people uncomfortable, mostly mostly my dad, I kind of have a fear of disappointing people, right? Yeah. So um, to see, I had no expectations for this book. I put it out there because it was my goal and I wanted to show my kids that you can reach your old, your goals, even when you're 44, because that's the age I was when I published. Um, but you can do whatever you want to do. It's just those. 44 days. is so young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're probably way younger. But... I am. I'm 24. But... Yeah. See, I could be your mom. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's interesting to like those daily actions, like that mindset. For me, part of it is the mindset. It's like the old condition pattern that didn't serve me versus the new and improved understanding of where I can go and who I want to be. And it's the in-between where I kind of wax and wane sometimes. It's like somebody will say something that triggers me back and I feel worthless. But now I have tools in my toolbox that I can just reach in there and go, okay, maybe this isn't about me. Maybe I need to get curious about that about this a good a good example is I had this person come in and um he's really angry and 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 I know him and I'm like well what is going on and uh and every spring he has this same personality come out and it wasn't until I got curious this week that I thought that person's wife died in the spring Mm. the way that he's handling his grief is by lashing out because he doesn't know how to handle it. And so through, I think they call it compassionate inquiry, I I got curious about that. And yeah, 
that that's exactly it. That's why he's kind of a, a grump in the spring it should be a happy time where you know your flowers are blooming and you get to go outside and it's not minus 40 degrees celsius and uh so getting curious about all of that led me to lead to learn a lot about people and i love learning about people so every day i make a connection in this office with whoever comes through the door whether it's my team um you know the public workers uh, the public whoever is coming I want to leave them better than the, than when they came in and making them feel good about, you know, personal development and maybe moving forward and getting curious about themselves. So, yeah, consistency on uh, is a big theme for me. Yeah, I love it. Well, if there were one or two people you could meet right now, and this could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take that next step towards your dreams and goals, who would they be and how would they help you? Of course, I always want to meet Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) He made a big impact through the television in rural Saskatchewan. We had two channels. She would be on every day at three o'clock. I would record her. I'd come home from school. I'd watch it. I'd listen. I learned so much. I gleaned so much information. And it was at a time where I was really a sponge and trying to absorb some things to help myself without even really knowing that I was trying to do that. Um, She was a voice for obviously the minority, but I felt like I was a person that didn't fit in because my family was on like we're on like the big screen TV kind of thing. Like other people's families could have had gong shows going on, but ours is really easy to target because you can see that the mom doesn't live at home and she's sick and the dad is at the bar every night. Right. So Mm -hmm. these kids are on their own and trying to, you know, we're trying to, we're like parenting ourselves. So Oprah really did have a big impact on helping me learn the concept of what it's like to develop yourself and to believe in yourself. So that, that kind of perked my curiosity. Um, The next one would probably be Renee Brown. I want to take her courses. I feel like the vulnerability she speaks about is so important and that is how we're going to change our world is by really being who we are and showing the world what that looks like and not being afraid of that rejection yeah and understanding ourselves and getting curious about what makes us tick i've read all her books listen to all her podcasts um yeah like and you know she's I feel like she's relatable because she was just, she's a normal person doing a normal job and doing her research and then shared it. So I can see the steps that, you know, she took and, and same with Oprah, both of them. Like I can slot myself into their shoes and go, I'm just a normal person. They probably felt like they had imposter syndrome too. Like, who are you doing this? And And they had a message and they anchored in on their message and that was to serve. And I definitely feel like that. I am aligned with that as well. So I think those would be fantastic conversations uh, and really good people to have them with. So there we go. There we go. Cool. Well, we're going to jump to the section about limiting beliefs. Actually, we're asked one question in the thriving three, and that is what's one action step you can take right now to meet either Oprah or Brene Brown. Oh man. 
Well, I went to see Oprah twice when she came to Canada. I didn't get to meet her. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking that if I sign up for Brene Brown's classes, that perhaps I'd be a shining student and yeah. her team would recommend me. So I think my my first action step once book two is out and I'm supporting that is to get into like get Brene Brown certified. And so hopefully that would maybe make me stand out uh, to her a little bit. There we go. There we go. And yeah, we'll jump into it. What is one limiting belief that continues to pop up in your life, if any? Oh man, limiting beliefs. I put in the back trunk of my vehicle, you know, kind of thing, but uh -huh. they sit to the front seat and ride shotgun once in a while. Um, the limiting beliefs that I have had have been a lot. Like not worth not worthy, um, not smart enough, not educated enough. Um yeah, like as I'm telling you that I really want to get Brene Brown certified and I'm sitting there going, you know, I can see I'd really like to meet Brene. I'm looking at her and say, well, she's she's way more educated than you. Of course, she was successful. Mm. That limiting belief is probably my biggest one. Like, who am I to do this and to advise people? I may not have you know, the degree in sociology and psychology and all that. My daughter, my other daughter, jo Julia, is getting a degree in sociology right now, which is pretty cool. But um, I have the school of life. And so that is how I tell myself it's okay. And if I want to get that degree, I could probably go and get it. I know I could. Um, but it's rationalizing that part of the brain that it's like, it's okay. You know, we were, I was raised in a, it's funny, my dad wanted education was important and a value, but he didn't push it. And when I said I wanted to go to school uh, after grade 12, he was mad. So it, it was really confusing time for me because I think he was he was upset because he didn't have any more money and he had put other kids through school and there was no money left for me. So I had to go get a student loan, which I mean is what it is. So his fear um, then became my fear. And, and I know if I would have gone to school for what I really wanted to, which would be a social worker, that is really what I wanted to do. But this allows me to kind of do that without the structure of, of a government society going through and, you know, going, putting kids through the system or, or people. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I battled the imposter syndrome and I battled the, am I really good enough to be doing this but every time I do a speaking event whether it's a podcast or going into I don't care I, I told myself I had an audience of four people the other day at a small town library and on my way home I thought yeah you know who would come see you right why why would they want to come see you but I know those four people were impacted and I said to myself and this is the tool that you use I told myself, it doesn't matter if it's four, 400, 4,000, 40,000 that are there. It's the message that you're trying to get across. So if you've yeah. changed one person and help them see themselves, then who cares if it's four people? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the other thing to think about, I wish we were taught <clears throat> to qualify ourselves 
for new opportunity based on desire and not past results. Because there's this conundrum that people run into where it's like, okay, I don't think I should start a business here because I don't have any experience in it. It's like everybody who's ever started a business had no experience starting a business. Like before, before you get experience doing something, you have to have no experience doing that thing. So unless yeah, you came how out do you get the experience? Exactly. So unless you came out the womb an entrepreneur, you should probably just go start so you can get experience as quickly as possible. Yeah. So it's no longer. And so what's funny is even with experience, people who uh, lack the desire to really put that experience to work aren't qualified to do the job because they won't do it well because there's that intrinsic motivation that's missing. And so, yeah, we need to incentivize people, but ultimately you align the incentives with the internal motivations. And so really what qualifies people, I feel like, is their desires, their intense burning desire. Napoleon Hill talks about this. Really all you need to be successful is a burning desire and to visualize the future. And then stuff just starts to happen. I think when you start with that desire, that's what qualifies you. So the fact that you have a desire to help people, you are more qualified than like 99% of people on the planet because they just are too busy thinking about themselves. They don't even have that desire. And so I think it's so interesting that we disqualify ourselves based on, you know, merit, like, oh, I, I'm not educated. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough i'm not whatever <laughs> enough <laughs> and it's just funny because none of those things really matter the only thing that matters is an intense desire to go out and do the thing that you're looking to do because that sort of intense desire focused in a direction is what literally makes the world like curl in around your desire to like make something happen for you and for the people you're trying to serve and people don't tell us that enough so we start no. thinking we need other stuff but we don't need anything except for that yeah. intense desire and some perseverance but. yeah that's very true because you know there's an old school like old school thinking um you know you've got a i remember being 25 or 26 and married two kids um and i'm i got a little bit depressed and i'm thinking is this it like I, I did everything to just get to this moment where, and I, and I mean, not that my family wasn't fulfilling for sure, but I'm like, I felt directionless. I didn't understand why I felt empty yep. and it's in the connection of people where I feel like I'm at home. So you know, I always knew I could speak. People would tell me that, you know, you write so good, you speak so good, all of these things. And throughout the years, I did believe that. Um, so there was always the belief that this could go somewhere. And and the, the root of going somewhere is that service, which I think is pretty key. So you have a good point in the fact that it's like you don't have to have a degree in sociology or psychology or whatever. Some people do and good for them. And some people don't, but it doesn't take me out of the game. Lots of people take themselves out of the game because of that limiting belief. And if we could help people understand that, yeah, it's, it's, it is honestly, you want to, you want it. You just really want it. Yeah. Um, and you have to anchor in on that. I think it's Simon Sinek. Find your why. Yep. Mm -hmm. right? Yep. That, that, was like, I did a deep dive into my why. Why? Because there's lots of kids that suffer. 
I met a child at one of the schools I went to who came to me, was transgender, told me about their childhood where they were taken and put into foster care. I didn't have any answers for the person. I don't have solutions, but I had space and safety and a willing to listen. And for them, that's all they needed that day. Yep. And if I can give them that, then I will have served my purpose, which is to, to make them feel safe and heard and valued. And maybe then they can get curious and read the book and go, okay, this is kind of a lot. And then move on to book two, because uh, which is going to be it, it's you know silence breaks a journey home is is where I get curious about all the beliefs and labels that were stuck all over me and I start to peel them off. Yeah, I didn't know who I was. I was I was a caregiver when my sister died. I was like I do not know how to do life now. Like yeah. I was broken for a good year, and I just my my grief overtook me so i mean i've i've sat in those trenches it's like that empathetic person um when someone shares something very vulnerable don't discredit it and just um slough it off like well buck up you know back in the day well at at least that that should just be removed from you know speaking to anybody going through any sort of grief or transition in their life um, the at least concept devalues a person, yeah. right? So I want people to see their own value, but that also has been my greatest hurdle in life is seeing my own value. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, we got one last question for you. Ready? Okay. What is your favorite belief about yourself? That when I put my mind to any to something, I know I can do it. Yeah, it's both exciting and terrifying. Yeah, because it's like I know I will hone in and learn everything I can learn and do it. Um, and it scares me because it's like, oh boy, that means growth, and we all know growth. As, as great and fantastic, and I, and I love growing, it, it comes with growing pains. And so, you know, you, you might go on the stage to your four people and feel silly sharing, uh, or you might go onto the stage with then 400 people and you might stumble on your words. It's, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 I I got you though. It's um there there's the root deeply rooted belief of I can do whatever I put my mind to, and then there's like the you know there's the same labels you pulled off. That reality is still there, trying to put them back on. And so anytime you mess up and you get criticism, our human nature creates that battle in our mind. And I just want to speak to the power of like having that I can do whatever I put my mind to and then peeling off those labels, you know, cause some kids just don't have the labels. They haven't been indoctrinated into society yet. And there was this, I think there was this TEDx dude or Ted talk dude who was like a nuclear physicist at 19. And when he was 12, 13 or 14, he just went out and he built like a nuclear fusion reactor or a nuclear fission reactor out of like parts that he, collected from outside in nature or something like that. And 
he was talking and he was like, yeah, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be able to do that. Like, you're not supposed to be able to do that, but I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be able to do that. So I just went and did it. I think very similarly, you know, you have that intense focused desire when you have that belief that you can do whatever you put your mind to, you don't know that you're not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. Move forth and do it. Yeah. It's like the paradox because the other end of that is the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like, Who are you to do that? So, but I think I'm definitely driven more by, I've seen the results. You know, I was in university and raising my family and working full time. So if I can do that, I also kind of gauge it by when I'm having a hard day. Um, I tell myself, I held my sister as she took her last breath. That was a hard day. Mm. This day is okay. You got it. You've done your hard. You've yeah. done harder. And so being able to, to talk yourself through that and really understand that you actually have, you got you to gotta be able to give yourself credit for the things that you've accomplished, no matter if people think, like that's that's the irony here is that sometimes people think oh you're being arrogant oh you're self-absorbed it's it's not that it's that I have all these labels and all that sticky glue is still sitting all over my skin the label may not be there but the residue that it's left behind is yeah so I still am battling all of that and trying to scrub it off but it's balling up and making a mess and it's taking all my arm hair right like Uh Honestly, we all have that. So if we could see each other and say, okay, it's okay to, it's okay to see your accomplishments and not have shame attached to that. I would say that has been a a huge battle and paradox in my life. It's like, I know I can do it, but then I got all this other stuff that's distracting me Mm -hmm. from achieving that. Right. Yep. And it's uncomfortable. And lots of people stay where they are because it is uncomfortable to change. I don't know why, but humans by design seem to be uh, people of habit. We like our comfort zone. You know, it's, I mean, some people, if they had my morning this morning, up at five, walk the dog, come in, go to get my laptop, not there. Oh, crap. Got to make a decision, right? Come to work. Go get it. Deal with it. Do it. But to some people, that would be like, oh, I'm going to cancel. Yeah. Right. And so what sets me apart is that I want this message. I wanted to have the conversation with you. I want to be able to show up in my very best self. So that means that I have to take all that stickiness that, you know, that says, oh, maybe this wasn't meant to be. Who am I to think that I can go on this podcast? I had to take all those and throw them back in the trunk. Yep. And drive myself to work and and do this because I really feel that deep desire to share. And um, and I think that we're aligned in, in a lot of our concepts. So I'm like, it's connection. And yeah. so you do the hard. Uh, we taught our kids. That was one thing we had. Uh, I've had a lot of loss in my life. Whether it's family, friends uh, that have passed away. Uh, We had friends that lost their daughter in a tragic car accident when she was 10 years old. And I remember that night when I heard it was horrific. Like they have a daughter that's, that was the same age as our girls at the time they were four. Um, And the next day I said to my husband, we got to go, we got to go to their house. He's like, well, that's only for family. I said, no, 
Like I know who didn't show up for me. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to be the girl who doesn't show up for her friend. Mm -hmm. So we drive and my friend Audrey. So what had happened, there was a tragic car accident where uh, six people died, five kids and, uh, and a mom. And it happened to be my friend's daughter that was killed instantly. So she sat on my lap crying, the mom, my friend Audrey, and her husband was making phone call, like on the phone with the funeral home because they're trying to trying to slot in where they can have their daughter's funeral because there's six funerals that are mm. going to happen in this town of 700 people. Yeah. So we showed up and then we showed up every week. Mm. You know, it's not the support that you get one day. That's good that you can come, but it's the consistency of showing up for people. And I think that if I can do that same thing for myself, this, this book, this brand, this speaking, it's, it's limitless because yeah. I will show up for others. I just got to give myself that same, same kind of show up. Right. Yeah. 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 I love it. Well, yeah. awesome. Diana, I think that's all we got for you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've loved it. And is there, Anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? I think that, you know what? We just need to give each other a little bit of grace. We need to give ourselves grace. Um, I'm a person that tends to beat myself up if I don't get something off my to-do list. I'm also the person that puts something on a to-do list that I've already done to give myself a little dopamine high. I do it every day at work. There we it's go. Like, oh, yeah, you did this. And I write it down. So if you're struggling with your accomplishments and, just make that little list. And even if you've done it, put it on there and then stroke it off. There's something good that feels good about putting that pen stroke through and saying, okay, I did accomplish something. Whether for some people it's accomplishing getting out of bed if they're in deep grief or pain. Okay, you got out of bed. You walk the dog. You know, you you ate something healthy, whatever it is. I know people think that it's all this grand stuff, but if you don't do the little things right every day, then that grand stuff has a harder time being a stable, like you don't have that foundation, like you were speaking about to take those dreams to that next level. And my yeah. dreams are definitely next level. There we go. Well, Diana, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you guys are listening to this and you loved what Diana had to say, make sure to check her out. Um, yeah. All the links to do so will be down in the show notes. Do you have somewhere specific you want to point them? Uh, author Diana Lee is my website. I'm going to be honest, I'm terrible at my website, but I did hire someone who's actually my husband's best friend who's really good at website stuff. So he's keeping it up to date for me. Um, yeah, check out the book, Silently Said. Keep a watch out for silence breaks. And yeah, I'm always open for business with any sort of uh, public speaking, keynote speaking events. So thank you so much. Yep, thank you. And thank you guys for listening. We will see you on the next one. Again, all the ways to contact her will be down in the show notes. Buy a book, send it to a friend, stay in touch for the next book that's coming out in the fall. And yeah, on that note, we're out. Hey there, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a review and send it to a friend. Don't forget, head over to workwithtimmydouglas.com to get your list of life-changing questions and our free book, Impact Ignition, Live a Purposeful Life. See you tomorrow for another show.